and you're listening to She Ran, a podcast featuring conversations with female-identifying elected officials on what it means to be a woman in politics. During the COVID pandemic, Pride Month, and a resurgence in the Black Lives Matter movement internationally, I want to use this platform to amplify Black queer women, elected officials, to hear what they are doing during such a prominent turning point in American history. It's impossible to address social movements such as feminism and Black Lives Matter without intersectionality. These politicians testify to that, and they fight relentlessly to protect, uplift, and inspire all the members of their community. As a white person, I don't intend to insert my narrative into these discussions. My intention is just to share others' voices. The turmoil in national politics and national leadership instills an incredible amount of anxiety in me and so many of us. But what these women have to share is far more encouraging than anything I've ever heard Trump say, which is not exactly a high bar. But I hope that these episodes will serve as a lens into the more local and regional responses to COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement. I garden and I have these little pots and I'm growing beets and I'm growing. And so every day I go out and it's like, wow, it's a little bigger than it was yesterday. So the fact, so you can actually see change happen and say, okay, I'm doing that in my, my political work. Joining me today is Senator Mary Washington representing Maryland's 43rd Senate district. In 2010, she was elected as the first openly LGBTQ plus African-American in Maryland and has consistently fought to improve the quality of life for everyone in her district. I am absolutely thrilled to speak with her today and hope that you all enjoy our conversation as much as I did. It's great. Thank you, Avery, so much for doing this. I'm very excited. I'm State Senator Mary Washington. I represent uh, 43rd District, Maryland. Uh, that's in Northeast Baltimore City. And it's a very interesting district in that it, I often think of it as um, the state of Maryland in the miniature, Baltimore City in the miniature, and even our nation. I have wealthy parts of our district. I have low income. Um, we have row houses, mansions, uh, parks, uh, golf courses, uh, bombed out storefronts. Um, um, you know, we have farmers markets and we have probably speakeasies um, and uh, we have corner grocery stores and also sort of fancy artisanal <laughs> bread shops. So we have mm. just the whole range. And then also um, we have one of the most uh, economically, racially, and, you know, every type of dimension you can imagine. And at the same time, one of the most difficult things is that even though you might have all of this diversity, this demographic diversity, there's not a lot of interaction. While I represent um, intersectionality very really, and that is my life and my, my process, um, the challenge is to really speak authentically to very specific issues. In other words, not to simply say that, you know, racial inequality and discrimination and anti-violence is like anti-violence against women or homeless youth or is like 
these things. They are very different mm -hmm. and are operating at the same time. And the biggest challenge is I cannot fix that today. <laughs> that's the, that's the, most, the most frustrating thing about uh, being an elected official is that I passing a law today is not going to fix that today. And we right. have right. to continue to have people believe that the policy changes and the budget priorities that we're articulating in a particular, in a moment are really tied to larger structural mm -hmm. change. You, you did talk about this a little bit before, but could you describe one or name one word that you think describes the impact that this time period has had on your community? And then just a brief explanation of why you chose that word. Uncertainty. Yeah, mm -hmm. uncertainty. Uh, and why I say uncertainty is that with most upheavals or challenges, there's some kind of discrete period of time. You know, if it was a storm or, you know, even if it's flu season um, or there's some, even if it's a, you know, a term of office, that there's a beginning and that there's an end. And that you at least have that certainty that there's going to be some end to this. And we don't have that with, with this pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So the economic upheaval, the public health, the uh, exposition of the social and racial inequities that have always been there, but that are exacerbated by this. There's no right now path that says, okay, this is how we go and this is the end. And so that causes uncertainty of your role as a legislator, uncertainty of your role as an activist, uncertainty is like, well, how do I how do I be in this space? Definitely. Um, so what do you envision the near future of the United States looking like in lieu of the current pandemic and the anti-police brutality protests? I actually, I am hopeful that the protests really are a movement and are a paradigm shift and that mm -hmm. we don't just go from murder uh, or killing to killing. You know, um, I was talking with some legislators today uh, about how when I first got into office, we were wearing hoodies because of Trayvon Martin, right? Mm. Um, and then, you know, or when there is a mass shooting, you know, a school-based shooting, there's a big uproar and then everyone's going to make a change. Yeah. And I, yeah. I hope that that's the change, that we understand that activism, uh, political engagement is not episodic mm -hmm. uh, and that it is something that is, is just like we talk about having a sustainable environment or sustainable energy solutions. Um, we have to have sustainable advocacy uh, and, and efforts to end racism and white supremacy, you know, and structural, all the structural inequalities. Mm -hmm. But it has, in order for it to really end, it has to be a generation, and I'm still part of this generation, but it has to be, you know, 10 years of really, really focusing, you know, yeah. on unpacking and dismantling these systems. What is one thing that you think would be happening differently if we had a woman president of the United States? <laughs> we would have had an immediate response to COVID-19, a public health response. I am 100% uh, confident 
and then just more specifically, the way women are socialized and the way that we see the Women Senators Act and the types of legislation that they put forward is always much more inclusive and solution oriented um, on both sides of the aisle, frankly. Um, so going off of that, if you personally were able to assume Donald Trump's role right now, what is the first <laughs> thing you would do? Um, wow. Yeah. So the very first thing we have to stabilize both the public health crisis and the economic crisis at the same time. So a, a guaranteed uh, income uh, through the end of the year. And so that will immediately affect the spread of the curve by enabling people to stay home. Yeah, oh, good steps. <laughs> so could you speak briefly about your experience as an LGBTQ elected official? It's, it's, What's interesting, what, what it's been like, I guess, over the last, I guess, 10 years and, and when I, you know, from running for the first time and now being in it, it's been very empowering, particularly when I get to talk with folks like you who, you know, I'm just doing my job, you know, I'm just doing what I'm called to do and to find that the fact that I um, am doing that and being out and open and honest about who I am and that you don't have to hide who you are in order to do good in the world. I'm glad that I live in this time in history when that's the case. And I'm mindful that maybe 20 years ago, people didn't feel, you know, not as many people felt that they could, could do that. I find that when you do the work and people get to know who you are and you're all honest and open, you have to be safe, right? But if you're honest and open about who you are, that power of hiding, that power of shame, that power, that stigma can have on you just doesn't work. Yeah. And that's all they have. All they have is an attempt to shame you or to stigmatize you. But if you're who you are and you're confident of who you are and you do the work every day, that's what moves you forward. So I've been very fortunate that I've been able to be, I guess, a testimony to that. To that yeah. Oh, that's really wonderful to hear. Thank you. <laughs> so I was going to ask you what you are doing to inspire and empower people, but you <laughs> just stated it so eloquently just now. Um, well, just also add, take care of yourself and those you love. Um, often those of us who are working in advocacy and working for the public good forget to take care of our home and our loved ones. Um, so plant a garden or paint something or do something that um, particularly now, because it, it's probably going to be a time where we're not going to see a lot of progress, where the work that we do, we're not going to see the immediate result. And so to do something, I garden and I have these little pots and I'm growing beets and I'm growing. And so every day I go out, it's like, wow, it's a little bigger than it was yesterday. So the fact, so you can actually see change happen and say, okay, I'm doing that in my, my political work. I just don't oh, see it, but it's happening. So That's such a good analogy. I love it. Um, I've also been like weeding in my garden lately and it's so therapeutic. Weeding is it. important. Sometimes yeah. weeding is more important. Yeah, you gotta weed first. <laughs> For this season, I asked each elected official five rapid-ish fire questions related to COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement. Number one, you're also just like a step ahead of me. You kind of just answered this, but um, what is one thing you are doing to release stress and anxiety right now? Yes, I am gardening. Awesome, gardening. What is the craziest or most exciting quarantine activity you've seen in your home or others? <laughs> That's okay, Allie, Allie went happy hours. People have been sitting at the end of their driveway uh, every Sunday at 5.30, and we're just kind of 
having a drink and waving to each other. It's been great. It. I've been doing it. Yeah. I love it. Um, what news source are you most heavily relying on right now? Ooh. So Baltimore Brew and Real News Network. Awesome. Um, and do you watch live news coverage of the pandemic at home? I did the first few weeks and now I don't. I read at the end of the day. I, up, I get updated. I just, I also just, I, as a legislator, I get a briefing every day. So that kind of substitutes for that. So I don't watch it. Um, do you have a book, show, movie recommendation for these times? I actually think um, uh, my recommendation would be Stamped from the Beginning mm -hmm. by Ibram Kendi, 100%. Yeah. Amazing recommendation. Thank you. Um, great. That is that is all the questions. This was really, oh, really inspiring. Thank you so much. Oh, good, good. And, you know, thank you. I'll leave you with the rest of my theme song, A Woman's World by Estelle.